Hello everyone, my name is Nena. I come from the internet. I was born on a Wednesday morning in the month of March, in the middle of 1970. I came out as a girl. I'm still a girl. I'm still a she till today. But where I was born in the eastern part of Nigeria in those early 70s, many people culturally did not consider the girl as a full human being. Many people still do not. Even in this year, the thing that women generally are of less value than men. And so a male child is considered of more value to a female child. And so when I was born, because my father was not around at the time, they were not sure because my mother had had two girls already and I came out the third and a girl. And so they had to wait to know whether I would be considered human. I'll be considered human enough get an identity and I'll be considered human enough to be accepted as a child and given a chance to be the best of myself. That's why I prefer to go by my first name, which is Nenna. It means the mother to the father. So my father came, he said, oh, yes, I want my girl and I'll call her Nenna. And that's a very beautiful name. I don't want any other name. That's just all I have. That's just all of me. And I'm happy being me. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 69 of the So This Is My Why podcast. I'm your host and producer, Lingya. And today's guest is Nena Wakama. Now, who is Nena? Well, she's a Nigerian force activist, community organizer, co-founder of the Free Software and Open Source Foundation for Africa, former interim director, and now chief web advocate at the World Wide Web Foundation. She was chosen as one of the 100 most influential people in the world in the field of digital government in 2018 and has over 15 years of experience working with the UN in areas such as the information society, gender, and digital equality. In this episode, we learn about what it was like growing up in Nigeria and why she wasn't even given a name for the first three months of her life because of her gender how she became one of the very first in Africa to use the internet, why she views the internet as a tool for social justice, and what drives her to create an internet that is free and open to all. Before we begin, if you have been enjoying this podcast, I would love if you could share it with a friend or two. Every share really does help this podcast to grow. Now you're ready. Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. During my research, I found that when you were born for the first three months, you weren't given a name. Was it because you were born as a female? That's correct, my lady. Hello, everyone. My name is Nenna. I come from the internet. Yes, I was born on a Wednesday morning in the month of March, in the middle of 1970. I came out as a girl. I'm still a girl. I'm still a she till today. But where I was born in the eastern part of Nigeria in those early 70s, many people culturally did not consider the girl as a full human being. Many people still do not. Even in this year, the thing that women generally are of less value than men. And so a male child is considered of more value to a female child. And so when I was born, because my father was not around at the time, they were not sure because my mother had had two girls already and I came out the third and a girl. And so they had to wait 
to know whether I will be considered human. I'll be considered human enough to get an identity and I'll be considered human enough to be accepted as a child and given a chance to be the best of myself. That's why I prefer to go by my first name, which is Nenna. It means the mother to the father. So my father came, he said, oh, ah, yes, I want my girl and I'll call her Nenna. And that's a very beautiful name. I don't want any other name. That's just all I have. That's just all of me. And I'm happy being me. I read that your father told you that you can be anyone that you want to be. He sounds like he really supported you. Yes. So if there's anything I learned from my father when this story was told to me about my birth. So after three months of being baby, I became Nena. And my father said, you are not worthless than a boy. And anyone who is listening to this, if there is any message I want to give you, if there is anything you need for your own self, you are enough. For being who you are, being human is enough. And so being myself is enough. I don't need to be anyone else. I don't need to be another gender. I don't need to be another nationality. I don't need to be anybody else apart from myself. So the first great lesson that my father gave me in giving me that name is that I'm equal to any other person anywhere on earth. So my being human is all that I need to be and is enough satisfactorily enough. The other thing I've learned from my father is to be the best of myself. So when you accept who you are, it is easier to work on yourself, not because you want to be in competition with any other person, with any other gender, with any other race, or with any other nationality, but because you want to be the best of yourself. And so I learned to be myself, the very best of myself. The other thing I learned is that when finally they got around to accepting that I could be a human being, they're like, well, she's a woman. She will probably end up in the kitchen making food for her husband and making food and making kids. And my parents said, no, you could be more than that. You could actually go further and realize your own dreams. And I'm like, heck, yeah. They sent, my father said, I am going to send you to a high school where they send gifted children, people who have high IQs. So I went to the very best of high schools. It was a girls-only school. And so when you get to a girls-only school, you play soccer, you do races. I play javelin. I love soccer. I did everything that everybody could do. I didn't have those limits set to me. And that helped me. Education, as Mandela said, is still the very most influential tool. Individual, a nation, I can invest in education. You go to school, I still learn new things. I'll keep learning because education is very important. You say that you're Nena and I come from the internet. What's the story behind that? I'm originally born in Nigeria. Nigeria is the most popular country in Africa and the place where you have most black people in the world. So I was lucky. I was fortunate to have been one of the very few uh, Africans who got online and active earlier than many Africans. So it was very important for me. I brought the things I've learned from my father once again to be useful, to be the best of myself, to educate myself. 
And so these are the things I brought in. In those days, Africa was just getting connected and it was very important. We were looking for people who could bring in information, education, communication, ideas, like in the digital world, like we say, content is king. So I went on uh, and tried to be as useful as I can to myself, to the people around me. And many people said, oh, that internet girl, that internet woman, that woman from the internet, because everywhere I, I went, I love to speak to people about the potential of internet for their development. So for me, the internet was the rallying point of social justice. It is the rallying point for identity. It is the rallying point for education. It is the rallying point for human rights. So it only became natural that I love to be from the internet because the internet personifies the kind of person I am and want to be. I want to go back to what you said earlier about how it was a place for you to find your identity, social justice. I mean, do you remember what it was like first discovering the internet and how you were using it? Because I remember when I first used it, I was writing your own little thing, even though you don't know if anyone's ever going to read it or anyone cares. But it's a way to connect with people from all over the world, even though you might never meet them again. So was that the same for you? Was that how you realized very quickly of the huge potential, even though it was just really early days? I grew up in the village and we did not have electricity. We did not have phones. And when I went to high school, I used to write letters and send them by post. When I went to college, I would call somewhere on a Sunday. They will send a message to my village. Then my father is going to come the next Sunday and I will speak with him. So it took two weeks to go around. But with the internet, I could send a message to my father and he would get it immediately. Now, once again, we lived in the village. So one story, one particular story is that I helped my father open an email address. In those days, it was Yahoo. And he went to a cyberspace area. These places were called a communications point or a cyber cafe, depending on where you are. So he used to go there to access his emails. There was this time I didn't hear from him for two weeks. And when he came back, he said, oh, when I came to the cyber cafe, they were closed and I had to go back to the village. But like, you could have gone to another side. But he said, no, but that's where my password is. So if they are closed, my password won't work anywhere else because my father is used to the old mailboxes, right? I mean, if the post office was closed, then you can't go in, you can't withdraw your emails. You can't withdraw your mail. So he thought it was the same thing in the cyber world. He used to go to one place where his email will be open, his password will work on those computers. And if it's closed, then it is closed. But then you see the liberty, the freedom that comes with the internet. Those are the things that made me buy into the internet. It gives you freedom, it gives you identity, it, it makes you equal to anyone else. So the very first thing I did when you asked me online, please don't laugh. I love football. I love soccer. So the first thing I did was to begin a soccer team online and compete against. <laughs> Nobody would know that I'm a girl. Come on. So I had, I had my own soccer team. And then as a girl, I love wearing dresses, colorful dresses. And most of us in Africa, we have tailors make our dresses. So we buy the material and then you take it to a, a seamstress or a tailor, a stylist, and they will make them. And most often they don't get it right because you're explaining and they don't understand. So the internet allowed me to draw interactively and I could, draw, I could use my computer to make drawings. 
add the colors, print it out and take it to the, and then my clothes will come out. I know it's stupid, but these are the things I did first. Of course, there was messaging and all of that and work. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're using it in, it sounds like pretty much every part of your life is incredible. Was that normal or were people still trying to go, oh, what is this internet? I'm not sure we should even use it. Because I was reading that apparently even in some villages, they would assign certain people to have emails and not everyone was allowed to have emails. Is that correct? When I was growing up, my parents had a mailbox and my father used to be the later writer for the village. So people will come, he will write their letter. And then he would take it to the post office. And when people reply, he will also go to the post office and get their mails and bring it back to the village. So he was not a mailman. He was a middle communication person. So when the internet came and we could email back and forth, he now started, when I trained him, quote and unquote, he now went to the village to train other people. You don't no longer need to write all your messages on paper. I can actually send it quickly and your son will get it same day and will reply same day. So the people who used to wait, who used to write, mail, wait, and come back, my father now continued. He just migrated to online communications. Now, that migration that my father did, many people have not done. There are still people who are depending on other people. It may not be in content. It may be because of infrastructure. It may be because of the lack of infrastructure is one thing. It may be the cost of connectivity itself. So yes, there are still places where people are not connected. There are still places where they don't even have electricity, basic infrastructure. One of our organizations, the Alliance for Affordable Internet, works on issues that hinder people from getting connected. There are even policies. There are places where governments still think that the internet equals social media. And because they cannot control social media platforms, they kind of cut it off for people. They kind of throttle. They don't want people to get fully online. So there are quite a number of places where people are not meaningfully connected. This throttling of the internet, I wonder how early on did you realize this was happening and that this was an issue? I think as long as the internet has existed as a tool for digital economy, as a tool for expressing voices. I recall that when I was doing some trainings, I had educated myself on some things. And I was talking about the potential of internet connectivity to connect people from all over the places, the potential of connectivity to give louder voices to people whose voices we are not heard before then, the potential of the internet connectivity to give citizens the power to challenge uh, power holders. I think that these pillars of social justice, and so those who have equality will ultimately threaten those who who benefit from inequality. I'll take that again. Some people benefit from injustice. The reason injustice and inequality still exist is that some people are benefiting from it. The reason racism and institutional racism still exists is because there are people who benefit from it. And if we we are going to be working on justice, on social justice, on everyday, if we are going to be working on making people really equal and giving them equal access to things, some people will lose their privileges. So people who privileges are threatened by 
others getting a voice by good governance, by democracy. Everyone whose interest is threatened will try to stop it. As soon as the internet started threatening people's authority, people's privileges, people's incomes, they will try and stop it. So as long as some people's interests are being threatened by the internet, there will always be a counterpart. I mean, it's hard to think that I'm a victim and I shouldn't act like a victim because there is so much threat to life, to family. You sound like you really were just going to forge ahead because this was something you truly believed in. I read that while you were doing your postgrad, you were also an activist. You did your thesis on promotion of women and children's rights. What was it that was pushing you to do all this? Because it doesn't sound like it's a conventional path. It is not conventional. But there is something about doing what is right. You get energy for it. You get energy, you get strength in knowing that you are following the right path. You don't get energy from applause. Your drive does not come from appreciation. Your strength is not found in the number of followers you have. You get strength and energy in the conviction that you are the right person doing the right thing at the right time. So that personal conviction of doing right motivates you more than anything else. And so I've been blacklisted by some countries because of what I've said. I have been threatened physically and or with my work. And some of those who have threatened me have come around to become my friends today. And I remember that experience recounted by Mandela when he said, work with your adversaries to the point that they will become friends. Right. So it is possible that those people's interests were threatened. It is possible that it's just difference in opinion. It is possible that they just did not agree with me. Difference in opinion is not necessarily wrong. So we also continue to, to discuss. We continue to collaborate. And by and by, either they convince me or I convince them or we just agree to disagree and we forge ahead. But we only have one humanity. And I believe in being useful. As long as I'm able to be useful to humanity, I will continue to be. I wanted to bring up one point that you said about your adversaries becoming your friends. I think that's something that's very hard for most people. Do you have any advice for those out there who want to make these people their friends? So everyone has an attitude. Um, they say attitudes are like assholes. We've all got them. And you may appear nice to someone else, but you go somewhere, someone's like, who is this? Now, I think that in most cases, being Christian has been helpful to me. The very first article of the Declaration of Human Rights says that all humans are born free and equal in rights and in dignity. If we accept that, then when you see someone you will respect that person. Being human is enough for someone to be respected. So my way of dealing with people is to give them respect. It's their due. They don't need to merit it. Being human is enough for people to be respected. Then after respect comes interest. Human beings need interest or value. I don't know whatever you want to call it. So when I'm dealing with someone, I want to be useful to that person. I want to be positively influential in that person's life. The thing I actually do is to put something called counting my days. I ask myself, if I'm meeting this person today and I don't have the opportunity to meet this person again in life, how do I use the time that I have with that person? 
interfaces with development. And they said, oh, Nena, would you like to co-author? I'm like, yes. So I wrote that the book, I think it's 2012 or thereabout. I don't remember the date, but I noticed it was being sponsored by the Web Foundation. I'm like, ah, I now remember Web Foundation, World Wide Web, something like that. I remember. So I wrote that book. I still have a copy. But then in 2012 now, in 2012, I am in Stockholm and they were planning the 25th anniversary of the World Wide Web. Of course, I went there. It's my passion. I want to be useful. And the CEO was consulting people about what their vision of the World Wide Web Like, hey, I want to be part of that consultation. I'm offering, I'm volunteering. And I gave all the crazy ideas about what the web should be, how the web is. I'm like, okay, I would like to talk to you. So they came to talk to me. Now that happened in Europe, in Stockholm. And then I go, I went somewhere in South Africa. And the CEO comes to see me and says, hey, you know what? We're trying to hire one person. Do you know that person? I said, of course I know. Anyone working in the internet industry in Africa, I know because I've been around. What do you think? I told them what I think. And then they called me back again. I left South Africa. That was in Cape Town, if I recall. Work with you on what? Oh, we're looking for a policy person. I'm like, okay, do you have a terms of preference? Do you have a job description? Given the work you do, given all of the studying that you have, how about you help us draft a terms of reference for the policy person? Like, okay, Will that be all? I'll help you do that. They said, oh, sure. And so I put together what I thought would be a good policy person for a foundation. And they interviewed me. And then I traveled some months after that. Now I'm in Durban in South Africa. I was teaching on the internet. There's something called Internet Governance School. So I, I was already teaching Internet Governance to other people. They called me and they're like, um, you know what? We've hired someone else. But we still want you to come work with us. I'm like, what is this organization looking for? So I was invited to be part of a family. And then I put two and two together. Oh, so Web Foundation is Tim Berners-Lee. It is HTML. It is all the things I did 10, 15 years ago. It came together for me. So I'm Nena from the internet. I'm paid to do what I love. I wake up in the morning. I can walk. 20 hours for Web Foundation. I can work 25 hours if that was possible because it's me, it's what I do, it's what I love, and I'm being given the opportunity. Can you imagine? How can I not be happy? For those who don't know, what does the World Wide Web Foundation do? What is their mission? One word or two for everyone. The World Wide Web for everyone. If you forget every other thing that the Web Foundation does, It is to ensure that everyone can access the web, can use the web, can contribute to the web, and can benefit from it. So as a foundation, for the past 12 years, we've been working to ensure that everyone gets connected. We've been working to ensure that when you get connected, you are safe and secure online. We've been working that everyone who gets online will be able to utilize it to its full potential. We encourage and we work so that everyone would benefit from it. And it is important, as the vision of the web is, that you also contribute to it. Finally, it is also important that you be a responsible web citizen. That is what the Web Foundation does. If you want the keywords, the keywords would be connect, access, secure, online security, I mean, 
We want to talk about co-creativity. We want to talk about being beneficiary. We want to talk about contributing. We want to talk about being responsible. You recall I talked about equality. Don't forget that thing that drives me. The World Wide Web is a tool for social justice. It is a tool for equality and equity. And that is why when more men are connected than women, we are threatened. We think it is not yet for everyone. When people in the cities are more connected than those in the rural areas, we don't want that. When the cost of connectivity is making it prohibitive for other people to connect, then we work day and night to make it accessible. When it is not meaningful enough, that means when people don't have the right device, they don't have the right speed, they don't have the right enough connectivity, then we worry. So in one word, we want to make it for everyone, for everyone to connect, to access, to use, to co-create, to benefit, and to be responsible. So I was on the foundation website to see what kind of work that has been done previously. And I learned that you were behind mm-hmm. Web We Want. And I wonder what it was like to bring that global coalition together. What's the story behind that? When you said I was, I still am. So it's not finished. The Web We Want is the vision of the World Wide Web Foundation. If you wake me up tomorrow, it's still the Web We Want. There's something called a contract for the Web. After 30 years of the web being being around and people using, we have seen that division is being challenged. And so certain Benesley and the Web Foundation have launched the contract for the web to empower, to bring to us the web we want. What does this mean? The web we want, the policy tool, both for governments, for citizens, for industry, for international organizations, to understand the vision that we have. This means basically that everybody should get connected to the web. So when you're working on connecting populations, you are part of the web we want. That everyone should be secure and safe online. So if you're working for men, women, children, old people, uh, people who have handicaps to be connected, you are part of the web we want. If you're working so that internet will not be shut down at any point, you are part of the web we want. If you Working to defend human rights on the web, you are part of the web we want. If you're working to ensure that men and women are equally connected, rural and urban and equally connected, that is the web we want. When you work to ensure that our data is respected, that our privacy is secure, that is the web we want. Now, there is misbehavior online. Everyone is talking about fake news and disinformation. When you work to reduce disinformation, that is responsibility of every web user. So we want people to be responsible. When you as a blogger, when you as a citizen, when you as an individual user, you are engaged in being a responsible citizen online, that is the web we want. So I'm not done with the web we want. We are not done with it. In fact, we are moving into something called digital cooperation because we now realize the countries alone, industry alone, and civil society and users or academia are not enough. We need a global 
kind of control. When you wake me up every morning, I'm going to tell you that I believe that the, the access to the World Wide Web and the internet should be a human right. But it hasn't come to that at the UN, but we are moving towards that. So the UN, we work with the UN Secretary General, we work with the Internet Governance Forum Secretariat, we work with the Office of the UN Tech Envoy, we work with them in something called digital cooperation, because we know for the past two years that we've been living under the pandemic. Pause for an instant. Ask yourself, what will humanity have become if we did not have internet connection in the past two years? Where would we be as humanity on this pandemic if we did not have internet connection, if the web did not exist? That's the reason why we should all work for the web we want. There were some stories that came up as I was researching what we want. I wonder if you could talk about it. There's one that I found, which was 2014 in Brazil. They passed the world's first Internet Bill of Rights or Mark of Civil. And it sounds like there was fierce opposition from the telecom companies as well who wanted to charge higher rates for access to content with that needs higher bandwidth. What's the story behind that? And how did you know the foundation step in to help them? It's a long story. But it's the story of Dilma Rousseff. It is the story of myself. It is the story of Vincent. It's the story of millions of other people who felt that the internet is no longer just a thing for commerce and for industry. It is for everyone. When the whole world realized that we needed to begin to work together as a world, Brazil took the lead and said, we are going to put it, we are going to adopt a law. The law is called Marco Civil. It's Marco Civil the Internet. So it is a civil law that grants rights to their citizens, that ensures that the rights of the citizens offline will be maintained online. And so it was in 2014, in April 2014. You know why I remember? Because it was the same year that Brazil was hosting the World Cup. And so we went early because I wanted to enjoy the country and then come back for the World Cup. But we did negotiate a text. The conference was called Next Mundial. We did negotiate a text that stood out in principles. There is a final text of Next Mundial. Anybody can find it online. But there is also the spirit of Next Mundial. The spirit of Net Mundial, I don't know, that's uh, a religious way of putting things. It is called multi-stakeholder policymaking. What this means is every stakeholder is part of the negotiation. My postgraduate degree is in international relations. Before the internet, international relations was mainly an issue, relationships between countries. But with the internet, which was not started by countries, we now have other entities that also weigh a lot. They weigh politically, they weigh economically. Today, the power of Facebook, the power of Google, Amazon, TikTok, these can be countries of themselves and they hold and wield power. And so multi-stakeholder policy engagement means that users, civil society, academia, Technical society, the UN, intergovernmental organizations, multilateral organizations, and industry or companies and UN member states or countries as governments come together, sit together, discuss together, 
and that dots together. Because the very nature of the World Wide Web, the very nature of the internet is distributed, co-creative decision and building. So it is very important that 24th of uh, April that we were in Sao Paulo, not just that we were President Dilma Rousseff was signing Marco Civil into law, not just because I spoke and made people cry because they felt that I captured their views, not just that it was one of the hybrid meetings where people were on site and people were following online, but because it was something groundbreaking for humanity. It was us saying, we want as humanity to be part of the digital world in a peaceful way. We want to work together. We want to grow together. We want to co-create and we want to move on together. And that for me is still the vision of the World Wide Web. Don't remember those two words, for everyone, including people like myself who had no names, for everyone, including me. Do you feel like the foundation's mission has advanced over time? I mean, now the fact that there are personal data leaks, there's a huge uproar. They are being held accountable. You have the whistleblowers at Facebook. Do you feel that we are edging much closer to that vision of the internet being for everyone? There's something great about the vision. The more people share it, the greater it grows. So the vision of the web, the fund, we can talk about the fundament, the legacy vision, the fundamental vision. When Tim Berners-Lee published the protocol for everyone to be able to use HTML to connect, his wildest dream was that maybe 10,000, 15,000, maybe at the most 100,000 people would get online. But what do we have today? The vision has grown. It has grown beyond the founding fathers of the internet. It has grown beyond the founding father of the World Wide Web. It is growing by the day. There is an article that I remember it. It says the internet is a fad. It will soon go away. No, it has not gone away. And so when we teach at the Internet School of Governance, we remind our students that the internet you knew 30 years ago is not the internet of 10 years ago, and it's not the internet of today. So while we are speaking about thematics today, while we are speaking about different challenges today, you can be sure that in the next 10 years, we will have new challenges. So as long as we are creative human beings, the vision will keep growing. But please, let's keep the basics for everyone. We could make 10, 15, 30, 100 principles, but as human beings, we keep it basic for everyone. So everyone can access can utilize, can co-create, can benefit in a safe and secure, responsible manner. That is still the vision. We've not got there yet. We cannot hide the fact that there is fake news, disinformation, cyber terrorism, cyber crime. They exist. The dark web, all of that do exist. But we are also counting on all of us. It is for everyone to build and for everyone to defend. Well, Nana, thank you so much for this wonderful interview. I'd love to wrap up with the questions I ask all of my guests. The first one is this. All right. Do you feel like you have found your why? Oh, come on, girl. I, Nana, from the internet, this is who I am. This is who I want to be. This is who I will be. This is me, and I'm happy being me. This is a definite yes, final answer. 
what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Connectivity and integrity. Those are the two words. I'd like people to get connected and better themselves. I like people to get connected and have a voice. I like people to get connected and make a living for themselves. I like people to get connected and learn and be the best of themselves. I like people to get connected so they can sell and buy. I like people to get connected so they can tell their own stories. I like people to get connected so they can travel the world connected. I like people to get connected so they can be part of the humanity of seven, eight billion. I like people to get connected so they can meet other people and know how wonderful it is to be alive and be part of a connected world. And I like people to meet people. I like to have more people be like myself, happy and Christian. And what do you think are the most important qualities of a successful person? Happiness. Happiness, being happy with yourself, being happy to be happy. Gratitude, I think it's something that I see in successful people. I don't know how anyone who's miserable can be successful. Those two don't go together. So happiness for me is the metric for success. It's not something you quantify with money. It is not something you store up in a bank. It's not something someone can give you. So it begins with accepting who you are, being the best of who you are. And if you see happy people, they may not have the best of conditions, but they make the very best of what they have. And happy people, for me, are successful people. And that's why I don't make New Year resolutions for myself. My resolutions are already made. I'm Christian and I'm happy. If you go to my online platforms, that's what you will see there. And where can people go to find out more about what you're doing, connect with you, reach out to you, support your work? Where do they go? I am on Twitter with Nenna. That's same Nenna. Double N-E, double N-A. That's all. That's my Twitter account. I'm on Facebook, Nenna75. It's a verified Facebook account. I'm also Nena75 on LinkedIn. I have a bit of uh, online presence on Instagram. I'm not buoyant enough to be on TikTok. I'm sorry, but I do some videos and with my organization. And please go to webfoundation.org to learn more about what we do. And if you want to tweet at us, please use the hashtag webwewant. If you're doing something, if you see something that is worth noting, hashtag webwewant. And please remember, it is for everyone. If you're listening to this, if you're watching this, if you're connected, it means people are working. Do your part. Be responsible. Hashtag web we want. And I'll add all that in the show notes so people can find the links easily. Is there anything else you'd like to share that we haven't covered so far? Be happy for yourself. Today, I'm speaking from West Africa. I'm cognizant of the fact that many families are working from home. I'm cognizant of the fact that many of us have lost loved ones. It is a difficult time out there in the world. But hey, if you're alive, hang in there, breathe, take it one day at a time, do your best to be a happy person. And if there's any way connectivity can help you be happy, please connect. And hey, I want to see you online. Keep online, keep responsible. Voila. And that was the end of episode 69.
The show notes and transcript from this episode can be found at sothismywhy.com forward slash 69. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to learn more about the other things I'm learning, you can also sign up for the free weekly newsletter at the show notes link. And stay tuned for next Sunday because we'll be meeting the managing director of London's most iconic Jewish bagel shop along Brick Lane to learn more about the tradition of bagel making, what it's like to run the shop 24-7 with his family, the ups and downs of life, particularly during the pandemic, and so much more. So don't forget to subscribe and see you next Sunday.